0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Zach.
1: And I'm Jen.
0: So after we dated for a little while, we found out we were having a baby.
1: Three years later, we had another baby in the beginning of 2014 and then we decided to get married at the end of 2014, in October. We were on the highest of highs. We were so in love, but even though we were so young, we still loved each other. And that highest of highs went from being together for six years to be, being like so strained from each other. like We became complete strangers at that point.
0: I worked too much. I was never home. That didn't help
1: and we didn't really know how to talk about it. We were working completely different schedules and at that age, when you're still working on your marriage and you're still working on your life and you're still getting to know each other and you're in that fun stage, you don't know how to deal with it. And if you don't know how to cope with it the right way or know who to turn to or to talk to, it just kind of all just falls apart.
0: So we ended up going our own ways at that point.
1: We split in January of 2016 and our divorce was final by May.
0: Definitely a rock bottom there. You know, we, so I would known was from going to school and then we had kids and just had a family and that was what I would known since high school.
1: I hit the lowest of the lowest when it came to my depression and my anxiety and I always faced that growing up. I scared people in my family at
2: that point. I wasn't sure what to do or where to turn to. So where do you look? when you can't see one step in front of you? Where do you look when you don't know where to go or where to turn? And where do you turn when you feel like everything around you has collapsed around you. You know, most of us, at some point, we've got dreams, we have hopes, we have, you know, bright things looking ahead for our future, and then if you've lived more than even just a few years, at some point, things begin to collapse. Meaning, life has a way of wrecking all of us. We go through devastation, broken dreams, broken promises, and at some point, you find yourself uh, feeling somewhat ruined, where you c- literally can't see one step in front of you. You you got very little to hold on to, and as a result, maybe maybe that's where you're at right now. And you just feel aimless. You feel lost, or or you've been through that, and you know that life-shaking feeling when you just feel completely uh, adrift at sea. You, you, you have nowhere to turn, you have, don't know how you're going to get out of this situation, and it feels like the situation you're in is a permanent situation. And um, what, what do we do? What do we grab hold of? What do we uh, hold on to? in those crises, in those situations, in those tragedies, when life breaks us, life ruins us. And, and sometimes those situations happen because of things we've done. Meaning I've, I've had moments when I put myself right into a situation that wrecked me. But then there's been other times when other people steered my life into a wreck. Then there's times when just life happens. It wasn't necessarily a decision I made or a decision someone else made. It just, life goes wrong and and things collapse and there's havoc and there's destruction and you're looking around and you actually want to blame someone, but you're not even really sure who to point the finger at because just life is messy. And so what do you do? Where do you turn? Where do you look when you don't know how to get ahead? And that's where I want to jump in today with, with uh, that story, with that picture, that feeling in mind, uh, and we're going to go look backward to the ancient story of this guy, the Apostle Paul, who knew something about devastation. Now, now here's a guy who, um, you know, he was doing some bad things. He was a religious terrorist, and then his life turns completely around and instead of killing Christians, he becomes a Christian and starts encouraging people to follow Jesus. In fact, here's where he becomes this really good guy. He uses his entire business, to uh, to give to nonprofits. I mean, every dollar he makes, he gives it to nonprofits. Very specifically, he uses his business to start up churches all across Asia and Europe. And as he travels, he encourages people to become followers of Jesus. But on his journey, he gets arrested multiple times. Uh, he gets into a few shipwrecks. Uh, in several—not uh, several, but in a few cities—they pick up rocks and they start pelting him with them, trying to kill him. He gets arrested, and uh, where our story's going to pick up, we're going to be looking specifically at Acts chapter 27. Now, now, before I start reading, let me give you the, the, uh, the background of even where this chapter comes from. It's written by a guy named Luke. Luke uh, is or was an outsider to Judaism and Christianity where most of the Bible, uh, actually all the rest of the Bible was written from the lens of guys who were at the very least uh, Jews who and then in the New Testament became Christians. Luke was, he had nothing to do with Judaism. He's in Antioch, he meets this guy, Paul. He becomes curious about Jesus. And so he starts investigating the person of Jesus and eventually uh, becomes convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. And Luke sits out to write an investigative account of the life of Jesus. It's included in the Bible. It's called the Gospel of Luke. And then he writes a second volume, what becomes known as the Book of Acts, which is basically a historical account of the early church and those followers of Jesus. And so Luke writes the Book of Acts from like a real historian uh, perspective. And he's writing about this guy, Paul, as he gets to chapter 27. And this so specifically as we jump in here, uh, we're, we're gonna find, And so the the background as I read it is Luke is writing about Luke's kind of uh, Luke is writing about Paul's final shipwreck. This poor dude has been through so much and now he's on his way to faith, facing a death sentence in Rome. And so he set sail from Caesarea in Israel, headed for Rome. And but the problem is they set out late in the year, like. as it's getting close to winter, and and if you don't know, that's a bad time to sail in any ocean or in any sea, but especially in the Mediterranean, because they have to basically sail uh, halfway across the Mediterranean. And so as they set sail, things go bad. And and so that's where we're going to jump in. Uh, Here it is. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So let me just uh, stop there and there it is, right? Uh, Have you ever been in a place where you've given up all hope of being saved, Where you can't see tomorrow, there's nothing but shipwreck in front of you, and you've given up hope of being saved, you've given up hope of being rescued, maybe you've given up hope on your marriage, maybe you've given up hope on your emotions, maybe you've given up hope on your career, or on your kids, or on your parents, or whatever the situation is, you've basically given up hope, uh, you can't see a brighter Tomorrow. You don't see a future. You don't see a way out. And that's, there's 276 people on this ship, and they've all, every one of them, have given up hope. Now, maybe you've seen the movie The Perfect Storm. That's That's really what's going on in this situation, kind of a confluence of weather patterns and a storm that have all hit to create this ridiculous sized storm that's like the uh, Andrea Gale is rocking the ship that the apostle Paul finds himself on. And specifically in Acts chapter 27, uh, Luke makes this point that Paul had told them, don't sail. This is a bad time of year. He's, he's a very experienced traveler. So he's been on many, many ships. He's traveled around those regions many, many times. And he's saying, this is a bad time of year. Let's not get on the boat. It's going to cause uh, us major problems. But the... Um, the captain of the ship says, no, we're going. The Roman centurion that has many prisoners under his guard, including the apostle Paul, wants to get them to Rome. And so he gets them on the ship and now they're facing this storm and there's, they've given up all hope of being saved. So what do you do when you've given up all hope of being saved? Let's keep reading from uh, this perspective. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss, meaning the damage to the ship, loss of all their cargo. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God Uh, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. So the angel came to and said, hey, Paul, you're gonna go to trial and you're gonna face the death sentence, but I want you to know you're gonna survive the storm. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. I, I, this is the part I really want to capture your attention. Paul says to them, So keep up your courage, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some no-name island. And uh, what what's the point? Did Paul have just blind faith? Was he just kind of, Uh, pie in the sky hoping that everything would get better because he didn't know how bad things were and everybody just rolled their eyes at Paul and they're like, yeah, he's ignorant. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or was there something substantive that anchored his hope? And here's what I want you to notice. Paul had a unique confidence while facing his brutal reality. Check this out. He had courage while being totally and brutally honest about the troubles they were in. And so you can be both honest, brutally honest, and have this strange, mysterious, even mystical confidence that things will get better. In fact, that's what I want you to take note of. The, the, uh, the principle that jumps out of this ancient story as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul is this. This is what you can take, this is what you can write down and hopefully more than just writing it down, it becomes a principle that you can apply to your life and so I, I'm putting it on the screen here is this. Hope holds on to the confidence that the best is ahead. Hope is honest about the brutal realities of life while having the strength to hold on to the confidence that the best is still ahead. Hope believes that in the midst of the storm that creates setbacks, that they are just that. Hope sees storms not as final, but as a setback. Hope sees a shipwreck not as final, but as a setback for a comeback. Hope sees a brighter tomorrow while facing the brutal realities of today. And that, I want that. I hear that, I'm like, man, I want to put my arms around that and, and hold on to, or, or I want to grab on the bar and I want to say, I want, to, I want something to hold on to that gives me the confidence that there is a better tomorrow. I want to be able to make the anthem of my life, the best is yet to come. But that's tough, isn't it? Because our life faces storms that feel final and shipwrecks that devastate us. And what we do is in the midst of storms, we just hope that the storm goes away. And when the storms cause shipwreck, what we hope is that we can just repair the damage or at the very least, hold on to as much of the cargo that's about to be lost as possible. Meaning the house is burning down and I've got to at least get my family photo albums out the door. I'm just gonna retrieve and rescue whatever I can get my arms around. That's what most of us have our hope in, to repair or retrieve what's lost. But that's not the way hope was meant to be. The challenge is, the reason why most of us settle for simply repairing or retrieving the little bit that's being, or or like a little bit of all that's being lost is because there's a far greater shipwreck that we're all experiencing. Please hear me. Now, maybe... Maybe you're walking through something right now and you you can't see a brighter tomorrow and you're facing your brutal realities and you're feeling like your life has been shipwrecked. We've all been there. And there's a reason though why those shipwrecks feel final. And it's this, because there's there's a deeper storm brewing. It's as if all of us are the Andrea Gale going through this perfect storm, a confluence of circumstances, but it's inside of us. It's this devastating reality that there is turmoil inside. And where does that come from? It's the storm called sin. It's a term that biblical authors and Jesus refer to as this internal, not not inside of our physical bodies, but inside of our spiritual being, the deeper inner part of us that you can't you can't do surgery on. You can't see a a psychiatrist to treat with medicine. You can't see a psychologist to talk through it. It's a a deep, inner, uh, eternal part of who we are. And in there, there is this sin storm that's tearing us up from the inside out. And the apostle Paul, he could relate to that. Here was a guy who had been through his own inner storms. And now he was facing a real sea storm and facing real shipwreck. And his hope in the storm on the sea was anchored in the fact that he had already been through a spiritual storm and come to the other side. And so I want to, I want to bring you in to this moment where where did Paul turn? in the midst of these real life storms. So we'll check this out. Acts chapter 27, verse 23, he says this. This is what he's telling everybody on the ship. The other 275 people, he said this. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. He said last night, I was down in the ship and and while the storm raged, I got quiet. And when everyone else felt abandoned, I sought out a God who never abandons us. And I I reminded myself that there was a God who stilled my inner storm. And I turned to him while the storms raged around me. And he met me in the storm and he spoke to me. And he said, you don't have to be afraid. This reminds me of what Jesus did Jesus who saw that every one of us was facing a sin storm that was tearing us up inside was gonna destroy and devastate every aspect of our lives, right? Because sin, this internal spiritual storm that's destroying us, it drives us away from the life and love of God toward a life of ruin. Sin is what's stirring desires in us that trick us into believing that what feel, that makes us believe that something feels good, even though it's actually bad for us. Sin leads us toward the shipwreck and into the storm, but it becomes final and fatal. But Jesus went into the storms of sin. He sailed his life right into it. He took on our storm. He experienced our shipwreck so that he met us in the storm, just like he met Paul. And what Jesus did was he took the sin judgment that we deserve. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on the suffering that every one of us deserve for sin that is final, that eternal judgment. And he put it on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. In essence, he he let his life be finally shipwrecked to steer us clear of the shipwreck of sin. But Jesus didn't just let his life end in final shipwreck. He was resurrected to new and eternal life so that when we believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of our sins, shame and guilt removed, but we are also given new and eternal life so that now, no matter what storm we face, like Paul, we know that our hope is not anchored in just surviving a storm but our hope is in the confidence that even if we die life doesn't end in death death ends in new and eternal life because God's spirit lives in our spirit in that eternal part of us where sin once once uh, wreaked havoc where sin uh, stormed inside of us now God's spirit lives and because God's spirit lives we have hope and like Paul, while the storms of life are raging around us, we can get quiet and alone with the God that we know loves us and knows us by name. That God knows our storm. He knows where we're at on the sea. He knows who we're with. He knows the name of our ship. He knows our name. He knows every aspect of our life. And he shows up and he is with us in the midst of our storms and in the midst of our shipwreck. So now my challenge to you is this. See, here's the deal, right? Hope sees a brighter tomorrow. But hope can feel a little bit pie in the sky. You know what brings you to a brighter tomorrow? Faith. Hope sees a brighter tomorrow, but faith actually gets you there. And faith is not just some blind belief. Listen to me carefully. We, as Jesus followers, followers, as Christians, our faith is not anchored in just blind belief uh, while ignoring brutal realities. No, we don't have faith in some mystical faith. Our faith is anchored in the person of Jesus, who there is evidence, history, actual 2,000 years of proof to say that Jesus is who he said he was, just like Luke, who investigated the person of Jesus and came to that same conclusion. Our faith is based on the evidence of the person of Jesus, the God who came to earth, who rescued us from the sin storms, who picked people's lives up from shipwreck, not so that you can repair a little bit of the broken pieces of your life, not so you can retrieve a little bit of what was lost, but that so you can be fully rescued from sin storms. Our faith is in Jesus, the real living son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And now our hope, which sees a brighter tomorrow, is moved forward by faith in the person of Jesus. That changes everything about our perspective of the crisis, the storms, and the shipwrecks that we experience. In fact, I, we asked the Coons uh, the family if they'd share a little bit more of their story. So check this out.
1: One day I woke up and I was like, I just wanna do an Easter egg hunt with the boys. And I said, do you mind if I bring the boys, in? if I come over and I'll bring eggs and we'll do an egg hunt this morning with the boys in the backyard. And we talked for hours and what seemed like I didn't have my best friend anymore, like my best friend was sitting right in front of me again. And we both just looked at each other and we're like, if we're gonna do this, we have to do it. It wasn't until we got back together that I looked at him and I was like, we have to go to church.
0: And that's Let's go. And we went the Mother's Day weekend. That was the first time we had been the life house.
1: And that's when we asked about counseling through the church and they brought up Marriage Alive. And that changed our lives tremendously. Like it taught us how to love. It taught us how to honor each other and respect each other. And it honestly, like I tell people, like it taught us how to fight the right way. And the most important thing was it put God in the center of our relationship at that point.
0: After the counseling, it felt like all more so real.
1: I just looked at everything God had did for me in just a year. Like He changed my entire life. And I was like, it's time for me to show the world that I choose God. Um, I just wanted to share my testimony because I think that it was something that everybody needed to hear, to know that it's okay.
0: And I was in the front row with the kids, our family was all there. It was just great because you know I knew what we had overcome and what she was overcoming.
1: And I looked back because I wanted to see his reaction. He is bawling and I lost it. The baptism happened and then the marriage happened and he looked at me and he was like, we're ready. A month and a half later, we were pregnant with our third baby. God made us grow up with the first one. God brought us together with the second one. And now God completely healed us as people and in our marriage. From the depression and anxiety, I haven't been on medicine in over a year now. And um, without God, it wouldn't be possible.
0: We find something new to keep our relationship focused on God. We can use something and relate to us every week.
1: And I cannot stress enough how important it is to keep God in the center of your marriage. He has built us into this strong, loving couple that we never were before. I tell everybody that. I'm like, if you don't have God, it's not gonna work. There's no way it's gonna work. Because He's ready and He wants to be there. We, as people, just have to make sure we let Him in.
2: My encouragement is that God does not see the storms you're in and the shipwreck you've experienced the way you see it. God sees our storms and our shipwreck as a setup for a comeback. We see it as final, we see it as devastating, we see it as the the passengers on the ship who said, all hope is lost of being saved, but God sees storms and shipwreck as an opportunity to demonstrate that he is the one that saves. He alone is the one that rescues. He alone is the one that saves. He alone is the one that reaches into storms and brings us through. He alone offers hope in the midst of shipwreck. And so let's unpack that. Two kind of complementary ideas of how we can make hope practical in our lives and offer hope, especially to those who can't see anything as a brighter tomorrow or they can't see one step in front of them. So let's jump back to the story and see how Paul leveraged hope in the midst of a storm and in the midst of shipwreck. Check this out. He says this, uh, you must, this is what the angel says to him, you must stand trial before Caesar. And so he tells them, look, the angel told me, I'm going to have to stand trial before Caesar. Keep that in mind. So keep your courage. So he tells them, you keep your courage. Another way of saying it would be like, keep your confidence, have hope. Men, for I have faith in God that He will that it will happen just as He told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on this on some island. This is interesting. He says, "I'm going to have to stay in trial before Caesar." So have confidence or courage, because things are going to get worse before they get better. But there's there's a principle here, when 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 hope holds on to the confidence that that. Things will be better in the future or the best is ahead. Here's the principle you've got to then believe or hold on to. Hope holds on through hurt things will often get worse before they get better. Now, none of you came here wanting to hear that, but we have to be brutally honest about the realities in front of us. And sometimes things get worse before they get better. Sometimes you're in prayer and you're saying, God, what is gonna happen in the middle of this shipwreck or in the middle of this storm? And, and, And God's presence shows up and says, yeah, you're gonna go stand before trial and face a death penalty. And the ship is going to be destroyed, but I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to rescue the lives of every person on this ship. And so what hope does is it holds on even through the hurt. Now that's important. Check this out. Hope does not mean you will not face storms. Hope does not mean you will not experience shipwreck. Hope sees through the storms a brighter tomorrow. Hope sees that through the shipwreck there will be salvation. Hope is not blind belief. Hope is not some pie in the sky, uh, just arbitrary, like, oh, everything's going to be okay. No, Paul was fundamentally aware that things were going to get worse, that the ship was going to be wrecked, that they were going to be devastated, and he was going to have to go from there to stand trial in Rome. But his hope was in a confidence that there was a God that saw him in the storm. Here is the thing, hope sees that the storm I'm in will be the storm that I came through. Did you catch that? Hope sees that the storm I'm in will eventually be the storm that I came through. Hope sees that while facing my brutal reality, there is a brighter tomorrow. Hope closes its eyes and sees something better down the road, that the best is still ahead, even if it means through trouble, through challenges, through storms, through shipwreck. And what you do every moment of every day when you're facing the storm when you're facing shipwreck when the pieces of your life seem like they're adrift at sea you you get alone in the quiet of the storm with god and you hold on to god's word what did paul hold on to the promise that god had showed up in his storm and said paul you will go to rome you, The ship will be devastated, but you will come through this. And hope sees that I come through hurt. But it comes at a price. There's two things that you notice as they sail. I don't know if you picked up on this, but... This is what uh, he's writing about. He said that they, they had to uh, release cargo. So he told them, like, look, you're going to have to let go of the cargo. And so they're chucking the cargo of the ship overboard. Sometimes in life, as you're going through storms and as you're facing shipwreck, you begin to let go of baggage. Storms have a way of forcing us to throw baggage overboard. What baggage has cluttered your life? Baggage is the excess. It's the stuff that you're carrying, regret, hurt, shame, your past, insecurities. And at some point, the storm forces your hand to go, I might have to throw that away. Maybe God is allowing the storm in your life for the purpose of releasing your grip from the baggage that you've been holding on to you're free from that, throw it overboard. But then it got to the point where they became so desperate that they started throwing tackle overboard. Now, unless you, you're used to being on a ship, you might not have no idea. I had to go and research this. Tackle is the necessary stuff to sail. Tackle is the ropes and gear that keeps you sailing. And they started throwing that overboard. There are some things in our life that we think are necessary for our survival, but it's actually keeping us back from the salvation that God wants to offer and it's robbing us of hope. Meaning these are the things that we've used to define ourselves and we're holding on to them instead of holding on to hope in God. Maybe there's an attitude, a personality quirk. Maybe it's your guardedness. You you don't trust people and you have those things fundamentally built in because you've used them to survive. It's time to allow the impending shipwreck to release your grip from the things that you've used in the past to survive and put your salvation in God alone, who is your hope in the midst of the storms and the shipwreck. Hold on to hope through the storm. And then this is the second part of this. This is the other part that I want to unpack for you. And it's this. Check this out. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you, can't, they, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense. I Meaning you've been worried, you've been, you've been holding on to your fears, you've been holding on to, to, to your to to um what you're gonna do. You've been holding on to the cargo and the tackle. You you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them. Remember, he gave thanks in the midst of the storm. He prayed over them in front of them. Oh. Then he broke it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like communion where you break the bread and you remember what God has done. And they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. And the point of it is this. Hope directs faith that drives action. I hope you write this down. Hope, which is confidence that the best is ahead, then directs faith that drives action. Here's what hope does. Hope directs my belief. Hope sees a brighter tomorrow, so then I believe that Jesus will bring me to a brighter tomorrow. And because I believe that there's a brighter tomorrow and Jesus is going to get me there, faith begins to put one foot in front of the other. Faith directs action. When you have no hope, you you. Don't even bother doing the things necessary to move your life forward. These guys were going to ignore Paul and try to rescue themselves by lowering the lifeboat and doing the opposite of what was in their best interest. Paul said, Don't do that. Eat, get strong, and you'll survive the shipwreck. Here's what's interesting Paul put Uh, his faith in the fact that he had hope because of what God promised and because of hope that drives faith it produced action. Hope delivers and creates belief. Belief drives behaviors. You start to do things because you believe because you have hope. Here is my challenge to you. Faith becomes action where hope just sees a brighter tomorrow. Some of you, you need to move from just believing and just having hope and start actually doing the things that are necessary to move you closer and closer to that brighter tomorrow. You can't just believe, have a hope for a better marriage and believe that Jesus can give you a better marriage. Maybe it's time for you to say, I love you to your spouse. You can't just hope that your kids are gonna turn out better and believe that God will help you there sometimes you actually have to do tough love parenting you can't just hope that you get a promotion and believe that god's gonna give you that promotion sometimes you actually have to go to work and be diligent You, you see hope directs faith that drives action so my challenge to you maybe the storm you're in and the shipwreck you're facing is not about you god used the storm and the shipwreck for the apostle Paul to share the strength and the hope that is anchored in Jesus to 275 people that otherwise would have never heard the gospel. Some of them that were sailing to their death, meaning they were headed to Rome to face the death sentence and God allowed a storm and he allowed a shipwreck so that they could see the hope that the apostle Paul had in a God who is real and alive and rescues through the storms and shipwrecks instead of cursing the storm and instead of shaking your fist at the shipwreck you've been through see it as an opportunity to come through the hurt to a brighter tomorrow because when others see your hope they then can find hope in a God who rescues through the storms and the shipwrecks. so my challenge to you is stay the course get back up get out of bed apply again love again Believe again. I know some of you, you're you're struggling. You don't even know if there is a God or where God is or where God's been. I want you to know that all along, God has seen you in the storm. God is with you in the shipwreck. While the noise is swirling around you, if you were to take this moment and quiet your spirit, I assure you that you would encounter a God who offers hope when you feel that you have no hope of being saved. And he wants you to take that hope and put it into faith and allow that to become action. Maybe right now what you need is to know that Jesus rescues from sin storms and you're gonna take that step of faith to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's where you're at, then you can take this moment and you take hold of Jesus. Others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you need to know that Jesus offers hope in your storm. Hope that sees a comeback even though there's no promise of a tomorrow. Some of you, you need to put your faith into action. Start actually doing the things necessary to live out that hope. Would you allow me to take a moment and pray over you? Jesus, I just want to pause and say thank you that you are the God of the rescue. In the midst of the storms where we can't see tomorrow, that you are the God of tomorrow. That the best is yet to come. God, that we don't have to throw our hands up in fear. We don't have to throw our hands up in, in exasperation. God, we can throw our hands up and take hold of the hope that you offer through faith in Jesus Christ that regardless of whether it's in this life or the next life, that truly the best is ahead. And so, God, our hope is in you, believing that the best is yet to come through the person of Jesus Christ. We ask this now in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio
0: from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here.
1: So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.